the year we won, I wouldn't have thought we won. None of us thought we would win. I mean, I was sat way up in Siberia <laughs> with Gail. And when we won, we were like, what? She and I are running up there. My dress tore as I was running to get on the stage by the right time. It felt really wonderful. And, you know, I hope we can repeat that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we are chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year and breaking down the state of the 2023, now 2024, Emmys race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and joining me this week, he's back, EW Editor-in-Chief Patrick Gomez. Hey, Patrick, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I am happy to be here as not just a guest, but uh, having interviewed someone for this episode. That's a first for me. Uh, Yeah. Is it a first period? No, surely you've done one before. Uh, that I've co-hosted as well. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So we're it's it's the double. It's the uh, double whammy on, on mm-hmm. that one. All right. Well, yeah. That is a. I, I guess we'll we're gonna go full pun today. We'll call that the amuse bouche uh, for the episode <laughs> because our guest is Emmy nominated Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. She revealed in recent months, right after the season twenty finale, that season twenty will be her last. Bravo has since announced that Top Chef alum and. Uh, food TV host Kristen Kish will take over. Top Chef is also nominated for Outstanding Competition Program. Now, in the history of that category, which uh, was first awarded like 20 years ago, 2003, only five shows have ever won. The Amazing Race, Top Chef, which ended The Amazing Race's seven-year streak, uh, then The Voice, RuPaul's Drag Race, and Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls, which ended Drag Race's four-year streak. So, you know, it, it, it seems like there are a few who always kind of rise to the top in that category. Uh, Lizzo's show was a, a one-season show. Uh, I mean, maybe it'll come back in the future, though, <laughs> with recent news. Maybe not. Um, but so that show is not uh, nominated again this year. And we'll get it fully into the nominees again, uh, or a little later, rather. But it, it's interesting how it's been you know it's just kind of four shows dominating and it's also a travesty that survivor is not any of those shows yeah. uh which is just it used to get nominated right. early and then it didn't and it's just kind of wild why I, I i don't know i don't understand the explanation well, yeah this is the first time it's been in this running in a long time yeah. um i will also point out that padma is also nominated uh for taste the nation yes um, her new show as double well nominee. so she is a double nominee yeah and triple nominee a, sorry to, because right tangly for top yeah. chef as well yeah uh and and her other show taste the nation is so good i i love her so much well that. you're gonna get to hear a lot more about it good good well uh so that's what i want to still part of this a little amuse bouche uh without you know giving away too much of the interview of course how is she feeling about saying goodbye to top chef she's She's ready. Um, huh? Not not in a dramatic 20, way. Nineteen years she hosted. Yeah, yeah, not in a dramatic way. But uh, she talks a lot about how hard it was on her body. You know, oh. eating that much food oh, in that, that part. quick amount of time. Yeah. Because for us, it's once a week. Right. But for them, it's day after day after day for a very condensed period of time. Yeah. And she's spoken in the past about how she gains like 10 or 15 pounds at least every season and then has to work the entire (laughs) hiatus in between the seasons to get it back off Uh. and put it back on. And that's not good for your body to fluctuate that much that frequently. Right. And so she talks a lot about how that was hard on her. Mm. But she also just, you know, she kind of grew up on the show. 
Uh, she yeah. says that it it taught her how to open up and just be as natural as possible on mm. camera, mm. you know, and how at first that they really uh, wanted her to come in and kind of be the stern, just like, I am here to judge. And like what you would imagine a food critic to be, mm. uh, okay. you know, very mm-hmm. ratatouille. Yeah. Um, and she was like, over the years, I just kind of was like, no, I want to, I've gotten to show more of my personality and yeah. the audience and the contestants have reacted positively to that. Yeah. And so they embraced that more and more over the years. So it was interesting to talk about the evolution and also just like what it was like to figure out what Top Chef was going to be because she wasn't part of season one. Although right. again, spoiler alert for the interview, um, they asked her for season one and she just couldn't. Oh. Um, and so when they came back to her and they were like, well, season two. Um, Interesting. And so she talks okay. about that decision and 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 doing that when she did. But even in season two, they were still figuring out what the show yeah. was going to be. Yeah. And that's was fascinating as a super fan of the show mm-hmm. to get to hear uh, kind of like the directions it could have gone and like right. why it ended up going in the direction that it did. Mm. So. Okay. You just have to wait or fast forward uh, yeah. <laughs> to find out. <laughs> yeah, that that will uh, certainly be an interesting little topic to uh, dive into there. Okay, so we'll call this the appetizer portion of uh, our episode today. We are going to focus on the reality categories. We'll talk outstanding competition program uh, as well as structured reality unstructured reality and then host for a reality or competition program. So let's start with uh, the the big one there, competition program, The Amazing Race, RuPaul's Drag Race, their survivor, first time in, gosh, however many years, Top Chef and The Voice. So RuPaul's Drag Race had been winning until, like I said, Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls uh, came in for the win last year. Uh, All of these other shows except Survivor have won. My gosh, I don't even I don't even know where to go with this one. Uh, Patrick, take it away. <laughs> well, I think I think Padma moving on from Top Chef has probably put Top Chef on everyone's radar in yep. a way that maybe they hadn't otherwise. It also was an all stars season, right? And a global all stars really season. Good to, yep. Yeah. So, uh, so there's like a lot of attention being paid to it because of all of that. So I could see that maybe elevating Top Chef to a win here. Um, you know, the drag community has maybe never needed more support than it does right, right. now. So that could rally people yep. around drag race. Um, it was Blake Shelton's last season on The Voice. Yeah, Blake Shelton's last season on The Voice, which continues to go strong. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Amazing Race and Survivor that are just so good at what they yeah. do. And Amazing Race maybe and not gets easy the to credit. Film. Yeah, Amazing Race maybe has gotten more of the credit yeah. over the years, but neither of them get the credit they deserve for executing Yeah shows that are just so difficult mm-hmm. and also you know it's, it's one of those things where okay survivors been around for forever it's a well-oiled machine at this point but the fact that they've even gotten to the point that it's a well-oiled machine i'm 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 currently re-watching I, we started with season i remember most of season one just because it was so mm-hmm. iconic as season one um but we started with season two and we've been re-watching at home and we're halfway through season seven right now. Oh, wow. And it's just, it's fascinating to see, like, that show used to not always work. Like, they would, like, <laughs> they would, like, bury, they would bury, like, bury treasure for the yeah. contestants. And it would be, like, food. And then they'd get there and, like, the food would be, like, moldy. And, mm. like, they, like, it just, it, it took them years to yeah. perfect the art of creating that show. And they've done it. And yeah. they continue to reinvent Which meant, it. Keep it in one location. Stop bouncing around. Yes. And, yeah. They've got the they weather figured out. Things a little better. Yeah. yeah. But with that, it continues to evolve. You know, I have a lot of friends that have just started watching the show since the pandemic. And they can't even watch old seasons because they're like, oh, it's so different. And it's like, yeah, mm. it's true. Like, like even going into season 45, 
the show continues to reinvent itself. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. Um, it yeah. took they tried to recalibrate um, in season after season forty, and right. <laughs> th- there was a season or two where they tried a little too much. Yeah. And but they yeah. but they recalibrated and pulled mm-hmm. back. And, and the pandemic made them adjust as well. Yes. So yeah. So there was also that. I'm just sad because it usually means no family visits now. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is sad. I mean, I was always just bawling. <laughs> yeah, Although then you yeah. go back to season two or whatever and they ha- would have them like zoom in over AOL. Well, oh I call it gosh. zooming in now, yeah. but like Zo- yeah. video call yeah. over AOL or or, or whatever. Uh, I'm like, you could at least do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you listening, Jeff? Geez, exactly. But uh, just About the that, fact Jeff. that you said season 45 is still just so wild to me. 45 seasons in 23 years yeah. and, and like we said a pandemic uh in, in the well, midst a pandemic of that pause, so, yeah. Um, yeah that's that's just really such a, a an amazing feat anyway, as um, you can tell i could go on and on about yeah Survivor. but i love but also love 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 amazing race yep. as well and just the fact that they've also had to adjust because of the pandemic in mm-hmm. in in honestly much larger ways but still made the show just as engaging yeah. uh you know they get a lot of credit there well I mean, if if you like make me pick right now, I feel like just out of uh, like going back to what felt comfortable, what was happening prior, I would say drag race wins. But I don't really know. I, I it's a it's a category. I wouldn't be upset if any of them won. I don't know that Blake's final season carries the voice through Padma's on top chef. I think, though, pulls different weight for some reason. I can't really explain it. Yeah. Well, I think also just because the voice has people come and go and yeah. yes Blake was the OG that was left yep. but at the same time like there's there's such a revolving door there that I feel like that has like less of an impact quote unquote yep. whereas like Padma is like the face of Top Chef mm-hmm. I'm gonna go Top Chef or Survivor honestly I mm. think the pandemic bump got it its nomination for the first time in yeah. years and years and it could it could elevate it to a finally a win we love a good Cinderella story it's yeah. just interesting that the Cinderella here is is the OG right like, juggernaut that is just, it's the Susan Lucci though <laughs> honestly yeah. honestly they it's it's a well to borrow a line from Lizzo it would be about damn time yeah for them to win yeah okay let's talk structured reality some some great shows here I have watched many or all of through the years Antiques Roadshow always great always reliable fascinating stuff they feature on there diners drive-ins and dives I mean look I love food uh, the restaurant industry of course over the last couple of years took such a hit and, and the way that that show has elevated restaurants and given new life to so many of them is really fascinating Love is Blind I mean, what a wild dating experiment that has paid off uh, in great ways for television. Queer Eye, reliable, always great. And then Shark Tank, which is just it's one of those shows that I don't regularly watch. But if I turn it on, I'm like I'm sucked in. I'm not moving from the couch. I'm oh, there if, for there's the long a, haul. if there's a CNBC marathon, yep, I'm, that's I'm, I'm done for the about. day. Uh, but we I do since we didn't cut the cord, do DVR it. Mm-hmm. It's, I love it so much when it goes off the air for the summer. I always get very sad. Mm-hmm. It's just like a good show. Yeah. It's a good show. That's the thing here. You know, Love is Blind is the newest yeah. of these shows, but Love is Blind at this point has been a few seasons in four or yeah, five like... seasons. Unlike the competition program where I feel like it's like in flux and there's new yep. things here. It's like these are just like good standard shows that mm-hmm. know what they're doing. Yep. Um, and there's not a bad pick of the bunch. To me, Love is Blind maybe 
edges everyone else out only because it's the most innovative mm. of the shows. Mm-hmm. It's, t- it's, you know, the idea of that you're going to have a bunch of people talking and flirting and dating without yeah, seeing, seeing each, each other. other. And how do you film that in a right. way that is engaging it, to the viewer? Yeah. And they do it. Yeah. Um, I didn't think it was going to work. No. And it fully, you know, first season oh, got when the I got screeners, the screeners. Yeah. I devoured them. Yep. Same. So I feel like my, my like gut is telling me love is blind. But again, it's a dating show. And I don't know if people that didn't watch it are going to write it off as it's a dating show. Right. I'm not voting for that. Like give right. me diners, drive-ins and dives or yeah. antique road show or what have you. Yeah. This is a category that I fear when voters get to it, which my feeling is if you haven't watched all the shows or you aren't familiar enough, don't vote on the category. Um, but I feel like instinct here might be just, Queer Eye's been winning. We keep voting for it. And that's not to say it's undeserving because they they do some great stuff. Fantastic storytelling and all the guys are great. All the heroes are, they have such amazing stories and, and it's always fun to watch those makeovers. So I don't know. It's just out of, you know, what's easy. I say Queer Eye in this one. But, yeah, I, I definitely think it's between those two. Yeah. Unstructured reality. The nominees are Indian Matchmaking, RuPaul's Drag Race Untucked, which is, you know, their after show, Selling Sunset, Vanderpump Rules, and Welcome to Wrexham. I shouldn't really call it Untucked the after show because it's filmed while the other episode is filming, but it kind of serves. And that's the magic of that that show. That's why that show actually, because at first I was always like, it's kind of just part of the same show. Like, it's a little unfair to, like, have it as a separate submission. But what I will give it is that it airs after you already know the end result, yep. but yet still somehow is super engaging and <laughs> yeah. you don't care that you know the end result. Right. And they don't and really focus on the end result. It comes and goes so quickly. Exactly. And so like they get points for that because I used to yep. think, I, I loved when they had Untucked as part of the episodes. Right. And then when they pulled it out, I wish you could like have that option to like watch that on Paramount Plus in that way. Mm, like just yeah, add Untucked yeah, into the space. Yeah. That being said, they get a lot of points for making an engaging show again mm-hmm. when you already know the outcome yeah. because it's not about the outcome. And that's right. really cool. And they, they do get the chance to many times dive into topics that are super yes. uh, poignant and yep. interesting that they don't have time to in the actual competition yep. part of the show. Yeah. And they've won for that exact reason before. Yeah. I don't know that this would be the right. year for that because I feel like that was a little less this mm-hmm. time around, but it certainly has been the case in the past. You know, I think... Vanderpump Rules gets mm. points here yep. just because editors, yeah, like I know, yeah. I know people that work on that show, and they had episodes locked, right? And then the real world, yep, happened, mm-hmm. and Scandaval was something that everyone was talking about, and they were like, we have to go back in, open these episodes back up, yeah, completely re-edit them, mm-hmm. and they did it with like two weeks notice. Right. Like because, it was like because once they realized that the affair had been happening, it suddenly became like oh, wait, that thing that we didn't think meant anything that was shot way early, now we see there were little clues along the way, that things that we weren't picking up on. Yeah, the way they re-edited, brilliant. The way they jumped back into production so quickly, got what they needed for the final two episodes, I believe. And then, of course, the reunion, which was uh, actually, I will say, a little hard to watch. Um just because emotions were still so raw for everyone. And uh, well, it's hard yeah. because it's like, look, there's a lot of reality TV personalities that amplify what's going yeah. on in their lives because they know it's good TV and yeah. God bless them for it. But then there are these moments where it 
is real. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think of, uh, you know, the New Jersey housewives dealing with like oh, somebody going to prison yeah. yep. or like th- like mm-hmm. these real life things happen. And it's like this weird like shock of yeah. no pun intended reality hits you and like, oh, these are real people. Mm-hmm. And these things that we like love watching about them getting divorced or this right. or that, like that's really happening mm-hmm. to them. Most of the time there's been enough distance where like they know how they want to project it to the world. This scandal was all happening in such real time. I do yep. think that it was tougher because they kind of were just in the center of the storm mm-hmm. and didn't have time to like process it on their own. Right. Which is really, really tough. So right. I could see Vanderpump. Yeah. Taking, I'm with you on Taking that. it there just again because it was just like what everyone was talking about. And yep. they did do a really great job at, at pivoting. But that being said, Indian matchmaking, people adore yeah. that show. Yeah. Welcome to Wrexham. It's got the star power. It's got the star power too. And so I could see Ryan Reynolds and I could see people and, uh, that like McElhinney. feel like they're like above yeah. reality. I'm you can't see me, but I'm using air <laughs> quotes here. Yeah. Um that feel like they're above reality. I could see them wanting to vote in that direction yeah. because it's it's, it's the, the real life Ted Lasso. Yeah. It's the real yeah. life Ted Lasso. It's it feels removed from the tone of most of these other shows. Mm-hmm. So that could be a dark horse here. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Uh, if you had to pick one, though. If I had to pick one, I think I'd go with Vanderpump Rules. Yeah, I think so, too. It's their first nomination as well, by the way, for good reason. There, there's a reason they got nominated, and I think that reason w- will carry them to the win. All right. Host for a reality or competition program. So all those things get combined, and the nominees are The Fab Five from Queer Eye, Bobby, Karamo, Tan, Anthony, and Jonathan. Nicole Byer for Nailed It. Padma for Top Chef, Amy Poehler and Maya Rudolph for Baking It. Keep in mind, the first season of that show was Maya Rudolph and Andy Samberg. Amy hosts Making It with Nick Offerman, but Andy left Baking It, so Amy, who's an EP, stepped in for season two. God bless you for keeping track of Uh, all of that. I know. I was like, was that confusing? But we got through it. Yes. (laughs) And then uh, finally, RuPaul for RuPaul's Drag Race, who I believe has won the past six seasons so of course rupaul has a you know the momentum i guess we'll say i know the fab five won it real bad it's tricky for them because they are quote unquote experts in their fields and so it's a little strange to look at them as hosts but they really are and they're very involved in basically also producing uh you know the elements of the show that they are involved in i mean nicole buyer really kind of is nailed it. I can't imagine that show being as enjoyable as it is if she wasn't host. And so that to me is in like, oh, I mean, she's really integral to it. Padma, always reliable, always great. We know she's got the momentum of her final season. And then Amy and Maya, I mean, they're just so much fun together. I think of the list here, maybe they're the least likely to win, but I don't know. What do you think? I, I don't disagree with any of your analysis there. I think the other thing to point out is similar to acting categories, a lot of it just has to do with the material you're provided. Right. And it's tough to see the Fab Five up against someone that has a more conventional role like Padma because mm-hmm. while Padma can, you know, of contestants getting emotional. She can ask about mm-hmm. that, but the, the amount of time that she's in contact with the contestants yeah. is much less compared to the Fab Five yeah. in terms of like them literally having therapy sessions mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. And RuPaul the same. RuPaul, yeah, RuPaul has found and Padma a, are the same in those regards. Well, but I would argue that RuPaul has orchestrated Drag Race 
to provide more opportunities for him to come in and yes. have those moments. Yep. Mm-hmm. And again, just because of the nature of the show, it's like Padma's coming in and being like, oh, why did you choose mm-hmm. to flambe that? Right, right. And I don't, you can tell him, a real big cook. Uh, <laughs> uh, versus like RuPaul can yeah. come in and be like, why did you have trouble in that challenge? And mm-hmm. they can be like, oh, my trauma in my childhood. Right, right. And yeah. they can open up about that. So, so that's actually why I think RuPaul continues to win here is that mm-hmm. there's this balance of traditional ch- host because part of me feels like while the Fab Five deserve a lot of kudos, mm-hmm. it's a weird category for me to call them hosts for yeah. all the reasons that you mentioned. And so I think that RuPaul, that's why. It's because he's yeah, able to agree. bridge that gap of like traditionally what you would think of a host standing, mm-hmm. looking at the camera, explaining the rules mm-hmm. and also having those emotional moments in a way that most of these other hosts don't have. So yeah. I, I would think not only is there the momentum and, and not not saying that RuPaul is the best host ever, but I think mm-hmm. it has the best opportunity to showcase what people are looking for in terms of somebody they want to vote for. Yeah, yeah, completely agree with that. And for the reasons you just said, for me, it's kind of a it's a should slash will split that I think RuPaul will. But I I think the Queer Eye guys should. They should have won, I think, a few seasons ago. There were some uh, especially moments in season two, season three. It was just like, holy cow. Uh, some of the, the things they dealt with with some of the heroes uh, was really em- emotional and um they, they just handled it with such sensitivity and care. And yeah, so I think what's interesting here is the people that aren't here too. <laughs> like there are a lot. Well, of, Jeff well, Probst n- never. Yeah, which is part of the mix. Insanity to me yeah. that he has never been nominated. But you like, even looking at the nominated shows, like out of the out of the competition programs, Drag Race and Top Chef are the only two represented here. Right. There's so many other hosts that you could be on here. Secret, yeah. like, yeah. There's, there's so many, and so it's, it, it's just interesting to me to see who even made the nomination list, yeah. let alone who will win. I think Phil for Amazing Race used to get nominated. Seacrest has been nominated for American Idol, but I think only back in the Fox days. Gosh, I don't know if Carson Daly ever has for um, the Voice. I would have to look that up. But uh, yeah, they're they're just. The one that I don't think is ones. technically classified as a host, but um, I think should be on here is Christian Siriano, uh, who has oh, taken for, over yeah, at, in the Tim Project Gun, Runway, who took over for the Tim Gunn, who took over the Tim Gunn role yeah. uh, in the new version of Project Runway. But he also kind of serves as Heidi. He's not on the judging right. panel, but he introduces the challenges. Yeah. And I just think he's so great on that show. Just the right amount of balance of official hosting duties mm-hmm. while also being totally irreverent and just like yeah. the little like pixie mayhem right. that he yeah, is. Of course, yeah. Which, I mean, to that point, that it, it makes so much sense to involve him in the show because he was on the show, just like it makes so much sense to bring Kristen Kitchen for Top Chef. She's been part of the world. She gets it. She knows what being in the competition means. So I'm looking forward to seeing her on that, but we'll, we'll certainly miss Padma. Um, yeah, so it, it's one of those situations where, gosh, there could be so many people nominated. Hosting a reality show is not easy. Not that I've ever done on it, but I have to imagine. <laughs> but yeah, some 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 great nominees here, all of them deserving. I mean, I would love to see Nicole Byer win something sometime. Yeah, she's so good on that show. Anyway, we are going to wrap it up for now. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we've been talking about her. We love her. It's Patrick's interview with Padma Lakshmi. The awardist will be right back. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to The Awardist. All right, so we've had uh, the amuse-bouche. We've had the appetizer. Let's get to the main course, shall we? Uh, Patrick, what do you want to What do you want to tease about your interview here? Well, I, you know, I, I guess I, I maybe over-teased uh, in the amuse-bouche section, but uh, it was really great to get to talk to Padma because, look, I love talking to actors about their roles, but for the most part, we're talking about uh, to actors that are playing a role like one or two seasons yep. or in a movie that mm-hmm. it was a one-time thing. It was really great to speak to someone who has seen their project evolve mm. over two decades. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, like even though she wasn't the host of season one, she was part of that world already mm-hmm. and and was able to dive in in season two and really help make the show what it was going to be. And in retrospect, I I don't know that I've ever sat down with someone and been able to talk about a project that they worked on for that long. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, I mean, you look, Ellen Pompeo, uh, sure. some of the NCIS's right, and right. Law and Orders of the World, maybe. Um, I haven't had that that luck. And I've had the chance to interview a lot of actors, but it's mm-hmm. about like a bunch of different roles right, and that right. sort of thing. It was really interesting to hear her discuss what it was like to bring a show about in kind of the second wave of reality as well. Mm. We'd had the initial shock and awe of Survivor. They literally made it Mm -hmm. seem as though they were going to kill people on that show when it was starting (laughs) out. Like I remember the ads being like, what do you mean only one survives? Right. And then you had all of the cable reality shows Mm -hmm. that were just like, you know, Flavor of Love right, and right. like a lot more. The Osbournes. The Osbournes. And, yeah. It was a like, you know, all about conflict and anger and mm-hmm. screaming and yelling at each other. And Top Chef kind of ushered in this more, for lack of a better word, highbrow mm-hmm. era of reality TV. And that and Project Runway, I think at the same time, kind of started to elevate what these could be and that it didn't have to be about screaming and yelling and, yeah. and drama in that way. It could be about celebrating an mm-hmm. art form. And uh, it was really great to hear her talk all about that, as well as Taste the Nation, which has been a passion project of hers. And as you mentioned, is just a fantastic docuseries um, diving again into food. And so that was also Mm -hmm. really fun to talk to her about, like, what is it about food? Because, you know, she was a model and and she could have had a completely different Mm -hmm. career if she'd wanted, but she kept coming back to food based entertainment. And Mm -hmm. so we talk a lot about, like, why that is, which was was fun. Well, I can totally relate to that. All right, well, let's get to it. Uh, it's Patrick's interview with Padma Lakshmi. Well, Padma Lakshmi, thank you so much for joining us on The Awardist. Uh, I have to tell you, uh, this was a hot ticket item to get to do this interview. Oh, um, there really? are many members of the staff who are, are huge fans of you, uh, huge fans of, of your work. Uh, and uh, I certainly, I, I have to say, uh, one of our editors, Randall Colburn, was like, you just have to, I, I'm fine with you doing it. You just have to tell her that how loved she is. Oh, thank you. Be so, safe. Yes. Thank you to everybody. It's nice to hear. I will. I will. Um, well, so I was the fortunate one to get to chat with you. I am uh, personally, I will admit and disclose at the top of this, a huge Top Chef fan. Um, and uh, I am so excited to see you continuing um, to grow uh, in your work uh, as a host and as a producer. Um, with Taste the Nation, and we're going to talk about all of that. Um, but I'd love to start off um, with uh, going back to the beginning. Um, you had uh, obviously had your modeling career and done um, some hosting opportunities here and there, but I'd like to um, go back uh, to the very beginning in 2006 uh, when your first season of Top Chef aired. I'd love for you to kind of get us to that moment. How did you even get to the part where 
where you were open and and excited to step into the Top Chef world as a host? Well, I had pitched uh, another show to Bravo at the time, and they didn't want to do that show, but they said they were developing a food show and wanted to know if I would be interested in hosting that. And I said, yes. Um, but when they were ready to shoot and, you know, like I had, I was in talk with them during the development of the show, but by the time they had uh, fixed the dates of shooting, I had signed on to act in a movie um, for British television. And so I couldn't do the first season and another host did the first season. And then after that, they came back to me in the second season and said, are you free now? And I said, sure. And of course, it was easier to say yes then because I had the benefit of seeing a season of the show. You know, whenever a show is starting, it's always a little hard to know what you're getting into. And I certainly dealt with that the first season of um, Taste the Nation because, you know, it, to get participants to open up and talk to us about all these things that we were asking them very personal questions about their immigrant journey and, you know, I was lucky that we had great participants who opened up to us so much. A lot of people cry on the show. A lot of people cry watching the show, um, you know, because they had nothing to go on except Top Chef and some of the other food shows I had done, like Planet Food, you know, Padma's Passport. So it's always interesting to be, you know, doing a show for the first season. Well, doing a show in the first season, and while the reality boom was definitely in in full effect, um, it wasn't necessarily as uh, re- well regarded as it is now. Even like I think Top Chef was a big uh, part of a wave of looking at reality um, TV, uh, particularly reality competition, um, through uh, a for lack of a better word, a more highbrow lens, maybe? Do you feel like, what do you feel about the evolution of the way that reality TV has been and, and docu-series and, and reality competitions like Top Chef um, or Taste of the Nation uh, has grown over time? Well, Taste of the Nation is different because it's really a documentary show and it's, it's so researched and, you know, all of that. But Top Chef, I mean... From the get-go, we were adamant that we didn't want to do a certain type of reality show, that we wanted it to be about the food and the chefs. And we were very clear about that from day one. And so we, there, you know, in, and in my first season, the California season, Los Angeles season, there was a still a little bit of that Lord of the Flies element, you know, um, especially because at the end of the competition, it got very heated. But I I think that that was the only case. After that first season in Los Angeles, we knew we didn't want to be anywhere near that kind of reality show, even though that kind of reality show where it's lowest common denominator and everyone's out to get everyone else, that was prevalent when we first hit television, you know? And I think what saved us is that we wanted it always to be about the food. We wanted our commentary never to be personal, always be constructive, whatever criticism was. And I think that that, in the end, paid off. Well, you know, paid great dividends all the way to the 20th season of Top Chef because now, of course, we've all evolved out of that in television. So, I, you know, we have seen television change a lot um, since we started doing Top Chef. I mean, Netflix wasn't even a thing then, you know? Uh, and of course, uh, you know, 
people loved the show from minute one, um, but uh, it started to get uh, Emmy nomination attention. Uh, and you were a big part of that. In fact, uh, I believe if I'm doing yeah. my math correct, uh, this year you are currently up for your 15th, 16th, and 17th nominations. Uh, I believe yes. that's correct. Yes, I um, think so. And so, one, congratulations on all of that. Um, but two, um, you, you, the series did win, um, and so uh, you all won in 2010. Um, uh, what was that experience like to, to, again, not just be embraced by the audience, but to be embraced by the television, uh, Academy and its members, um, as something worthy, obviously it's fantastic to win, but again, time and time again, to at least be nominated. I mean, it means a lot. It, it's wonderful to know that after so many seasons, people still love the show and your colleagues appreciate the show. You know, that's really what the Emmys do for you is to know that, those in the industry also admire your work or, or are happy to um, have it be part of the elite list of nominees. Um, I've stopped predicting. The year we won, I wouldn't have thought we won. You know, I mean, I, we, none of us thought we would win. I mean, I was sat way up in Siberia with, <laughs> with Gail. And when we won, we were like, what? We won. We jump up and then we just see this ball of, chiffon and hair and jewelry like tumble down to the stage where you know she and I are running up there and you know clearly nobody thought we were going to win because Dan Cutforth didn't even like write a speech and he you know he was as flabbergasted as all of us and it felt surreal my dress tour as I was running to get on the stage by the right time because I knew they'd have to give us a lot of time and it felt really wonderful and you know I hope we can repeat that at least for one of our enemies, but let's see. Yeah. Well, obviously you're up for, uh, as producing the show, uh, Top Chef, as well as, um, hosting Top Chef. Uh, but then you also, uh, got nominated, uh, for Taste of the Nation, which I know has been your baby. Uh, so let's take a moment. I'd love to get back to Top Chef in a minute, but let's take a moment. Um, in your own words, what would you describe to someone that hasn't, um, and why you haven't checked it out on Hulu yet? I don't know why. Um, but if someone hasn't that's <laughs> listening, how, how would you describe the show? And, and tell us a little bit about what that meant to you to get to bring it to the world. It meant so much for me to be able to do this show. You know, I have been in television for 20 years, and this is the first time I've gotten to make a show totally of my own from scratch. And it's a gloriously gratifying experience. And then to have people really respond well to the show, you know, we got a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I've never had that happen to me, but it was wonderful. And for anyone who hasn't watched Taste the Nation, Taste the Nation is a show that celebrates immigrant food and culture in the United States, but we also feature indigenous communities. And the food is just an excuse to get to know the people, to get to know their background, their cultures, what are the issues that they're facing in their community? And it's a show that goes much deeper than a normal food show. You know, it's not a lifestyle show. It has a lot of heart. And it's wonderful to watch, I believe, with everybody in the family. Because the one piece of feedback we've gotten from everyone is that they learn so much. Not just about the food, but about this country and about history. And, you know, all the things that they wish they had learned. And... I think that's my job to make, you know, all of that learning seem fun and entertaining. And I think people laugh as well and they have a good time. And hopefully for those who like to cook, they try some of the recipes. That's why we're making them, you know, with the people who, who they, whose recipes they come from. Like, you know, I'm going to see my grandma 
she's going to teach me how to make this Greek lamb dish for Easter. Or, you know, I'm going to see the head chef at this beautiful restaurant in D.C. called Lapis. It has Pakistani food and it's the best of them. So that's fun, too. And you meet so many different people of all walks of life. You know, of course, sometimes we have really highfalutin chefs on there. But a lot of times they're just regular people and I never know what I'm going to get. Every interview is different. I mean, you interview people all the time, but before Taste the Nation, I could count on one hand the amount of times that I had interviewed anybody. And it was never for television. It was always just for a literary festival or, you know, a food festival. Um, but this is something very different. And so I had to kind of learn on the job with Taste the Nation. What do you feel like you learned about being an interviewer? I learned that the most important thing as an interviewer is not what you say or ask. It's that you listen and that you let the conversation go where it wants to because you may uncover something you had no idea about. And then, you know, the conversation is much richer because it's about the things that the person is thinking about. And that's what makes a good interview. I've also learned to talk to my participants before we start. You know, I've gone on a lot of late night shows and those are generally like very fun and and lighthearted, but there have been times when the host hasn't come to me before we started. And then there have been times when they've said hello before. And I think just making that connection before you actually start the interview is very important and giving them an opportunity to ask you any questions just so they feel comfortable, the more comfortable the participants are, uh, the better the interview, the deeper you can go. I'm now going through my checklist of like, okay, what should these have I done? And, and do I need to go back in time? And let's, uh, but, uh, but no, uh, hopefully by the end of the interview, you, you do feel like it went all that way. Um, <laughs> going well so far. <laughs> there we go. And it's only downhill I hope, from here. I hope, for me, at least. <laughs> uh, <laughs> taking a step back, uh, obviously, you know, Top Chef, About Food, other shows that you've been involved with, About Food. Where did your passion for telling people's story through food come from? I think you can tell a lot about a person by what they eat. You can certainly tell a lot about a culture by how they eat. You know, you can see what influences they've had. You can you can tell what grows in their lands. You know, it's it's a great way also to get the conversation going. You know, it's such a it's such a corny and cliche saying, you know, food brings people together, but it really does. Often people won't talk to you about politics or religion, but everybody will talk to you about food. You know, everyone has such fully formed opinions about food. And so I I, I also love the ASMR of Taste the Nation. I love all the sizzling and the crunching and the slurping. And I love to enjoy food and I love to discover new foods. I love to travel and eat, you know, from all different cultures. And I hope that that's infectious. I hope most of all that Taste the Nation um, makes you want to say hi to that neighbor across the street who you may not have had the curiosity or the bravery to go up to and talk to or, you know, get to know your fellow Americans because this is an incredible country and we're so polarized right now. But what I'm trying to do with Taste the Nation is really in a positive way um, bring people together and show people that, you know, yes, we may have different names. We may have, you know, names that are difficult to pronounce or, you know, our grandmas may have accents and stuff, but actually there's so much more that really 
unites us that we have in common and that also immigration is a great thing for our country. It's what makes us a world uh, superpower. It's not only our military or our economy, it's really this mix of so many cultures that have contributed to the American culture. And so that's why like even our pop culture is really interesting. Our books, our movies, our TV shows, all of that is fed by all the different communities who have come here over generations and generations. And I think that's fascinating. We mentioned how much you've learned uh, about interviewing in, in a short amount of time that you've been doing uh, Taste of the Nation. How do you feel like you've grown as a host uh, over 19 seasons of Top Chef? You know, we've mentioned you you were had hosted prior, so it wasn't like as though you were walking in completely mm-hmm. blind. But, you know, getting to do that show for 19 seasons, where do you feel like you grew the most? I think, you know, over the course of the 19 seasons, I definitely got more comfortable and I definitely learned how to manage different personalities at judges' table and also sense when a contestant was having a hard time expressing themselves and, you know, learning how to calm them down. I want the best out of those contestants. I want them to be expressive. I want them to tell us what their intention is. Because if you're not rooting for those contestants, then we don't have a show. The contestants are the stars of Top Chef. Tom and Gail and I are not, you know. And and every season, there's a new bat for, for chefs. And for me, I, you know, I get very emotionally attached to them. And at first, the first few seasons, they really wanted me to be very imposing and stern because they wanted, you know, they wanted to set our show apart from other shows and communicate that it was a really serious show about professional chefs. But over the years, I've found a middle ground in a way to both be super serious about the food, which we all are still, um, but hopefully exude a little bit more empathy towards the contestants and what they're going through. And I think that's because I'm there every day. I see what they're going through. You know, I, I, I've, I've said this so many times, but as difficult as Top Chef looks on TV, it's really harder when you're there in person. And so, I really do feel for them. And I'm so thankful that they're willing to come on the show and compete. I would never do stop them. It's just such a harsh, it's like nothing you've ever done, you know? And, and so I hope that over the years, I've managed to still do my job really well as a host, but that you've gotten to see more of my personality and more of how I interact with chefs and with our guests seamlessly, you know, because on this side, they're all, you know, basically authority figures for that, for that episode, right? Whoever we have on. And on that side of the chefs, they're terrified. So you can't be too laughy and jokey because that doesn't meet the moment. But you also can't be so stern that you freak them out even more because, you know, it seems like that might be a good idea because it seems like you're such a, you know, very imposing judge, but it's not because it just makes the chefs, you know, so nervous that they aren't as expressive. Getting to grow, not just as a host, but, you know, as the time went on, you got more and more involved behind the scenes, obviously producing, uh, or at least getting producing credit. I'm sure you were doing things that were helping produce the show from minute one. Um, but, uh, how do you feel like you grew um, as a as a business person in in the entertainment industry just from continuing to be a part of the show and more and more involved in, in behind the scenes? I mean, I don't know about business person, but you know, a person. I 
I can hear in my head what will work in the edit or not. And so I try to give my editors as little to do as I can. So, you know, I'll often ask, I'll know before someone tells me, you know, to ask the judge to repeat the the comment they've made, but use the name of the contestant. Or I'll ask the way, the question in a way that will hopefully get us a juicy, effective soundbite to explain exactly what they think. And, you know, even on Top Chef, like I try, I don't always have a chance to go to everything, but I try to talk to the judges before we get on camera to tell them, you know, if you have any questions, please let me know. I'm going to make this as easy for you as I can. All that stuff. And so I'm so now I, when I'm a host, I can't help but think with my producer on because I know what I need later. And um, I try and fix it as much as I can in the moment. You know, obviously uh, you announced earlier uh, this year that season 20 was going to be your final one of Top Chef as you continue to expand on all the other things that you're doing. Walk me through that decision to walk away from the show um, and also uh, it, it at least seemingly coincides with Taste the Nation uh, getting to uh, be celebrated and and why now is the right time to put your attention towards Taste the Nation. Was that a new idea that you had just had recently? Had this been stewing in your brain for years and years and years? I think, you know, I consider myself a creative person and an artistic person more than a business person. I like to make things and um, whether it's a piece of, you know, writing for an op-ed, whether it's a cookbook, whatever it is, I enjoy making those things. And I think I have done all that I could do on Top Chef and I wanted to grow and I wanted to really, you know, there are many, many reasons why I left Top Chef. We don't have time to go through all from here, but um you know, I also wanted to make space in my life for an other creative projects. I am so proud of Top Chef and I am so, you know, so sad to go. It's very bittersweet. Listen, there are like 129 people on that crew that are like family to me. And my daughter's grown up with them on set, you know, and we've all been through marriage, divorce, kids, death, everything you could imagine together. And so it's very hard to walk away from something that's so successful and something that I helped build along with everybody on that set. But at the end of the day, I just wanted another talent and I wanted to create my own projects and really give a lot of care and attention to Taste the Nation. There were times when I was on the set of Top Chef and looking at edits and giving notes of edits on Taste the Nation. And it just exhausted me. And I didn't think that I was in a healthy place, really. Like, I, I think I needed a rest. And I I think it was too hard to do both shows. And to be honest, Top Chef is very difficult on me physically as well because of all the food I eat. Um, and also because we shoot it in such a compressed amount of time. And, you know, it's only six or eight weeks, but my body goes through a lot in those six or eight weeks and I've never gotten good. I don't spit anything out unless I think it's unhealthy for me to eat it. I know I should, or I can, but I don't like doing it because, you know, those chefs are putting their heart and soul into every plate of food. And I feel 
terrible to, you know, spit it out. So that was really hard for me. And like I said, it, you know, it's, it's it was such a hard, complex decision. It was just time for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Uh, met, you've mentioned uh, the importance of telling uh, the story of particularly immigrants, um, but just diverse stories. One of the things that Top Chef has always been celebrated for is uh, the amount of diversity in its cast. Um, uh, and obviously having you as the face of the show is, is important there. I'd love to hear from you about why that was important to Top Chef. Um, and then obviously, uh, with, um, Kristen stepping in as the new host, I'm so grateful that they are continuing the legacy of having, um, someone of color, uh, be the predominant, um, forward facing face of the show. I mean, I think it's the right thing to do. I think we've gotten better over the years at that. We always, we always had half women, half men compete where that isn't the norm, you know, in the professional food industry, it's still very male dominated. Um, that we did from day one. I think we got better at looking at different kinds of contestants and understood who would also make a good competitor. And also the show is really self-selecting because, you know, in success, everybody wants to be on it. Even as a judge, you know, it's, it's a great platform for you to be seen on if you're a professional food person or chef or whatever. You know, I think we've also done well by the LGBTQ community. A lot of our crew is also um, LGBTQ. And so that was also important. And I think from a very self-serving point of view, it makes the show better to have a diversity of voices. You know, I don't want to eat 15 French dishes when I'm judging. And not no, no judge wants that, you know. So we want to learn about African food. We want to learn about you know, Latin food and Jamaican food and all these other beautiful cuisines. And I think the food landscape is so rich. And if you look at any fine dining restaurant and go into their kitchen, most of the faces are black and brown. It's only the head chef and the sous chef that are often, you know, Euro-American or white, you know, for lack of a better And I think it's changing. You know, finally, there was a black chef who got a Michelin star, but it's hard to believe that before this chef, there weren't any. You know, well, I and I do think that Top Chef has been a big part of that legacy of of changing uh, people's minds about uh, what is going on in that kitchen and who is in that kitchen. Um, so thank you for that, but also thank you for doing similar work on Taste the Nation. Uh, I would love to hear now that uh, you know you've uh, moved on past Top Chef. You mentioned you know taking some time for yourself, which I hope you're able to do. But what do you see as the future um, of Taste the Nation and and the other, I'm sure you've got other ideas percolating? Yeah, I mean, we, our production company has two other projects that are in development, which I'm not going to talk about because I hate talking about work until it's done. I'm very superstitious about that. But, um, you know, obviously there's a strike and it feels weird even talking to you during the strike because I want to be mindful um, I'm a SAG member. I'm also a WGA East member. And so, you know, because these are cooking shows, I'm allowed to do them, but I feel for, you know, my colleagues. And so nothing is happening there. And so I will get the rest I need as far as those are concerned. Um, with Taste the Nation, I would really love to go international. Um, you know, obviously we have a very small crew and a very, you know, you know, it is what it is, but 
I would love to go and taste food, like Turkish food in Berlin. There's a very big Turkish population in Berlin. Or Thai food in Australia. Or Indian food in London. Right now, in our civilization, there's more migration than there has ever been. And I always think it's cool when two cultures mix or bang up against each other. That third thing that those two cultures make, to me, is super exciting. And any immigrant kid will tell you there's so much code switching that goes on. When you leave your house in the morning and go to school, you're one person. When you come back, all of a sudden, you're another person. And, and a lot of us had to navigate, you know, different rules of, of ways of being or what was acceptable um, in our homes and with our families versus out there, you know, um, in the outer world where, you know, it was all, quote, American, whatever that meant. And so I think that, you know, there's a lot of fertile ground to cover. And, you know, I, I think we've done a great job. I'm so, so thankful for this Emmy nomination because we were a tiny, tiny documentary show, you know, and, and I'm up against some crazy talent, you know, people that I have grown up as a kid looking into, like Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey are in this category and David Letterman is in this category and Stanley Tucci and Kamal Bell, those people that I love and respect. So we're definitely the underdog <laughs> category, but um, I'm very, very thankful. And I think I have a lot more to do with Taste the Nation. Um, I'd like to produce other projects, whether I'm in front of the camera or not, but um, I still have a lot to achieve. You certainly do. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, we at EW shared um, the concerns and support um, for the strikes going on. And um, I'm grateful that, uh, as you mentioned, the work that you're discussing is non-struck and they are encouraged people to get out there and, and celebrate mm-hmm. um, the, the work that is uh, supported uh, right now. And so we appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, uh, I hope that you are taking your rest, but giving us uh, a, a few minutes uh, on Awardist. Uh, and <laughs> I, I personally look forward to chatting with you again very soon, I hope. Uh, and uh, But for now, I just uh, just want to thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to watch you on Top Chef these past 19 seasons uh, and now on Taste the Nation, um, which, again, if you haven't checked out on Hulu, is a fantastic, fantastic series. Thank you so much. Hopefully you'll be able to talk to me in January and I'll have won at least one of those three. I mean, let's Emmys, go, let's go three for we'll three, see. Padma. Big ideas, <laughs> big ideas. <laughs> I hope, I hope and pray. Yes. Well, uh, thank you again for your time. This has been such a pleasure. Well, uh, my, my belly and my brain are stuffed after, uh, <laughs> after that one, Patrick, you know what she said uh, is so interesting about, um, diversity, uh, Specifically, we've seen a lot of it in this show, but really when you look at the landscape of food shows in general, uh, you look at, uh, you know, Food Network, and it may not have really started that way, but it became that because restaurant kitchens are some of the most diverse workplaces there are uh, for lots of reasons. You see on a lot of competition shows, I'm thinking of like Chopped, you hear a lot of people say, you know, I was in a, it was in a dark place in my life and I was getting in, you know, trouble, you know, with the law or whatever. And I was like, all right, let me go like work in a kitchen. And they set me straight. And, you know, you hear a lot of those kinds of stories. It's, uh, cause it's let's give people really with criminal past knives, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing. Yeah. Um, no, it, it is. I mean, I've, I worked in restaurants yeah. for, you know, Same. the better part of a decade prior to this life. And it is, it's true. It's like people from all different walks of life yeah. um, that do come from sometimes backgrounds where they 
feel like they can't really get a job in other yeah. scenarios. And also just like the authenticity that people can bring and like the flavors and the fusion that mm. happens when you have those people from different backgrounds yeah. all in the kitchen together. Because they may be working at an Italian restaurant, but like, guess what? The staff meal was right. always one of the better things because mm-hmm. you had them infusing like, oh, yep. I'm going to do this thing my grandma used to do or, yep. oh, I'm going to steal this thing that I had from an old coworker. That sort of magic that happens in those kitchens, like that's what we get to see on Top Chef yeah. because they're able to explore. Even if it's their own restaurant, they're not making exactly what's on the menu. Mm-hmm. They're able to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to use this technique that I've right. never had the chance to really put into action because I own a farm to table right. <laughs> restaurant and but I want to do this high end thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so what was important is, you know, I initially asked her the question about diversity, mainly focused on racial diversity. But as she pointed out, it's true, like they made sure that that shows diverse in all the different ways mm-hmm. it could possibly be. And, and that made it better. Yeah. It makes the world better, too. Yeah. I mean, look, America is, of course, a a big melting pot and uh, fusion is a big thing that happens in restaurants here for better, sometimes for worse. Um, So, yeah, to that point, it's great to have uh, folks from all kinds of cultures in the kitchen coming up with dishes that one, you've never heard of sometimes or two that you never would think to pair things together. And, you know, that's. That, that's what gets me in the kitchen. Do you um, know how we ended up? Fun fact, one of my favorite shows is The Food That Built America on History yeah, Channel. Yeah. I love that show. Um, they also do like the toys that built America, uh, yes. all, all different kinds of shows. Um, uh, they uh, did an episode and uh, we're talking about like frozen pizzas and yeah. things like that. And did you know that the pizza rolls yeah. were invented because it was a white gentleman who had had a company making egg rolls like that you could make oh, at home. Sure. Okay. Um, and he sold that company and he was like, well, what do I do next? And so he, he was like, how do I evolve the egg roll into something else? And he tried PB&J, he tried ham and cheese, he tried all these other flavor mm-hmm. combinations and then finally landed on pizza. And mm. that's how we ended up with pizza rolls. Pizza rolls, mm, such a good, just like throw some in the oven 10 minutes and then later. burn your mouth burn off. Your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> but I love them. Maybe I shouldn't, but I love them so much. Uh, well, that, was a, that was a left turn. It sure was, <laughs> but you know, it's also lunchtime, so <laughs> perfect timing. All right, Patrick. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for, the, for the interview and for uh, joining me today. Yeah. Well, that was a little dessert. How about we'll go with that? Oh, yeah. That's perfect. Perfect. Yeah, we needed that last course there. Uh, And thanks so much to all of you for listening. If you like what you're hearing here on The Awardist, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We will see you back here next week. This episode of the Awardist podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.